about to begin what I call my favorite time of the year. I think it's because we put such an emphasis on family and on the, the work of God in our lives. I pray that this will be a time in which we also put a huge amount of emphasis on what God is doing in terms of His power and His greatness. And that's the thing that we're going to look at today. We're going to look from the Gospel of Luke at who God is and what God does. And we're going to ask a couple of questions. Who is God and why does it matter? And so I pray that this will be a time in which we can come into His presence in Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. I hope you'll follow along as I read from Luke 7, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I do need to tell you one thing before I get started. I know a lot about you as a congregation. I'm sure I don't know everybody here, but I know a lot of you, and I know about your compassion and care, and I know about your prayer. And uh, you may have heard Martha had an awkward step and fell really hard on Friday, she has a couple of fractures, so we would very much appreciate uh, your prayers on her behalf for her healing and her very quick recovery, and we're looking forward to that. The other thing I know is, for most of you, you would rather see her than me. So I have to kind of let you know about how she's doing. So we do appreciate your praying for her. Our scripture is Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to read two different incidents in the life of Jesus, but that have all to do with who he is and who God is. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion ser servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and he built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But you say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at the centurion. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. 
Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the beard that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, Get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16 and 17 ought to be, we ought to know what they say. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Every now and then we see something or hear something that amazes us and makes us laugh. I was uh, doing some errands Friday morning and was listening to something or the other, and, and I was listening intently, but then something that was said was completely opposite of what I thought. And it was funny, and it was amazing, and I'm in the car by myself, and I hear myself laughing out loud. I rarely laugh out loud when I'm by myself, but I laughed out loud. Sometimes I read things that make me smile. And if you were to say, what passage in the Scripture makes you smile, my answer would be what I've just read. I read about Jesus giving the young back man back to his mother, and I smile every time. I, I have often used this passage of Scripture to preach at funerals because to me it tells us about who God is. It tells us how much God cares. It tells us about his power, his compassion, about his desire to know us, about the importance of trust and faith it says so much about God. And what I want to do is I want us to talk about who God is, and then I want us to talk about how, why it matters about who God is. The, the two things, who God is, is of the two things, this is tremendously important. Because the God we worship determines everything in our lives. Who is God? Think about Luke. Luke was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. 
He probably was not saved before the crucifixion and resurrection, but afterwards. And he thought about what he was going to do. It was this Luke who accompanied Paul. It was this Luke who was called the beloved physician. Here was a man of compassion. You read through Luke and you find that he cared about people. He cared about the Gentiles. He cared about widows who were left alone. He cared about the place of women in society. He had this great compassion for people. No wonder Paul described him as the beloved physician. But he also wanted people to know God. So you go back and read the prologue to the book, and he talks about his desire to tell about Jesus, to tell it about a man named Theophilus. Uh, the, The word itself means a lover of God. He said, I want to give you an orderly account of all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did. And the purpose, of course, was for Theophilus and for the Gentile world and for the Roman world to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that God has come to earth. So what does this tell us about who God is? Well, the first thing that it tells us is that he is a God who is powerful. It's amazing, it's instructive that at the beginning of the gospel, he tells us of the power of God. Mark does the same thing. In fact, Mark, in his brevity, in his immediacy, he jumps right into it, telling us what Jesus did. Luke tells us much the same thing. This is a God who is powerful. So he tells us about going to Capernaum and that there's a centurion there. Centurion was a Roman army officer. He was over a large group of soldiers, about a hundred in number, therefore the name centurion from the word century. And so he, he was over this large group of men. He had a servant. The servant was near death. So he goes to his Jewish friends because he's heard about Jesus and he asked them to go to Jesus. Now you and I would think of a centurion as maybe being proud, boastful, arrogant. We might think of him in those ways because he is somebody who can say to an officer, go here, and he goes, and say to a soldier, come here, and he comes, and can say to a servant, do this, and he does it exactly. But this is not a man of arrogance, but of humility. And he sends his friends to Jesus, and they say, this man values his servant highly. And he is very sick. And this man has been good to the Jewish people, and he deserves your help. And Jesus goes with them. But before he can come to the household, the the centurion has sent other men 
Lord, I don't need you to come here. I am not worthy for you to enter my house. I know that you have authority. I am a man of authority under authority. Was this centurion thinking that he was under the authority of Rome, but he had authority over others? Was he thinking that Jesus was under the authority of the God of the universe who sent his son to, to earth to serve, to minister, to die, and to have authority? Was he seeing God in a way that the Jews did not see him? And so he said, all you need to do is say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. At that point, Jesus looked around to the crowd who was with him, the 12 and the other disciples and other people who were following and saying that he was amazed because he had not seen such faith even among the people of Israel, and this man was a Gentile, a Roman, and he healed the servant. Now, one of the things that's so powerful here is, is that it breaks all kinds of stereotypes that we have about miracles and prayer and faith and belief. Because we kind of put things in a certain place and in a certain way, and we, we think that everything, that God has to do things this way. Here's the part I want you to see. Jesus never saw the centurion. You could make a case saying that he never knew who the centurion was. You could tell from this passage of Scripture, Jesus didn't know who the servant was that he never came to them. You certainly can make the case that Jesus healed without touching the man. And it, it changes all our views of the way things have to be done. So Jesus healed without his doing so. And Jesus talked about the importance of faith. And sometimes we put faith in a box in the same way and we describe what it means and sometimes it becomes something like a glorified, if I believe it, I can receive it kind of spirit. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about a deep trust in God that puts God above everything else and that lets God be in control of our lives because the next incident in the life of Jesus occurs without any other person speaking or demonstrating any faith. Jesus is... On the way to Nain, not necessarily the same day. Later, afterwards at some time, Luke says, he goes to Nain. Capernaum was a larger city. Nain was smaller, but still not just a village. It had a city gate. And as Jesus and the 12 and the other disciples, the women and many other people who accompanied him and Luke called disciples as they were coming through in a large crowd of other people, they meet a large crowd. 
And the large crowd they meet is a funeral procession. There's a man who has died, a young man, an only child of his mother. And his mother was a widow. And in those little statements, there is a triple grief. This woman is a widow. She's lost her husband. And now she has lost her son. And she and he is her only son. And in that day, a woman didn't have the right to stand in the court and plead a case. Had to be a man who did that, her husband, her adult son. Now she has neither. A woman of that day had very little options of making a living. It had to be through her husband, through her son, and all of those were gone. So it was a triple grief that she had lost her husband and lost her son and maybe would lose her own life. It was a tragedy upon a tragedy upon a tragedy. And she didn't ask Jesus anything. Jesus came to her. Jesus, she didn't reach out to Jesus. Re Jesus reached out to her. And he went over and he touched the, the place where the man was, uh, mainly just uh, something you were a stretcher more than anything else, not a casket that we would think of, but a stretcher carrying the body. And then he does a strange thing. He touches the, the stretcher and presumably the man, and you say, well, what difference does that make? I we touch caskets all the time. We don't believe that they make us unclean, but they did. And it meant that you had to go through a ritual cleansing. It meant that you couldn't go to the temple. Those were the rules of the Jews. And Jesus was showing the power of God. He touched the man not because he had to touch him to heal him, but because he had to give us a lesson in who God is and what God does. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the man got up. When I think of people who are sick, when people who are really sick begin to speak, I think of them as getting better. And the man sat up and he spoke. And then the Bible says that, Jesus gave the man back to his mother. Now, that's the part that always makes me smile. I just think about that. But what I would like to do is not just read it. I'd love to see it. Because I would love to look at the face of Jesus giving the boy the man, back to his mother. Now, we know what the mother looked like because we've seen that many times. We've seen 
joy on the face of a mother. We've seen tears on the face of a mother. We have seen how people react, but we've never seen God doing this kind of thing. I would love to see it because there would be joy in our hearts when we see Jesus returning the man to his mother. What Luke is saying is that our God is a God of power, that he is the power to raise the dead and heal the sick, and he has the power to save people who are lost and broken and away from God and without God in this world. Paul said it this way, that apart from God, we are without God and without hope, and maybe that's where you are. I am without God. I am without hope. I'm trying to live life on my own, and life is not turning out the way anybody would want it to turn out. But there's something else that God, we're told about God. We're told that he's a God of compassion. The, the word describes it in that way. Jesus didn't have to be summoned. He wanted to be there. Jesus didn't have to be asked. He wanted to do this. A God of compassion. That word compassion is a, is a powerful word. It means to have an emotional upheaval on the inside. You've had that at times. You've heard bad news and you felt it in the pit of your stomach. Sometimes we talk about a gut punch. We can feel it deep inside. And that is something of the meaning of the word when it says that Jesus had compassion. If you were to go to the Old Testament and, and ask the question, who is God? You'd get a lot of answers, but one way you would get the answer is to turn to Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, where the Lord himself reveals to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and compassionate, abounding in steadfast, that means never-ending, unquitting love, abounding in steadfast love and forgiving iniquity and sin. He is that God. Psalm 103 quotes that because it's a psalm about God, a God who is compassionate and merciful, forgiving iniquity and abounding in steadfast love. He is a God who cares for us deeply. He, he is a God he is a God of the Gentiles. Now, that, that doesn't mean much to us. Some of us here are Jewish, but most of us are Gentile. So that doesn't mean much to us. But in the day of Jesus, a Jew and a Gentile had nothing to do with one another. A Jew wouldn't go into the home of a Gentile. Possibly the reason the centurion doesn't go to Jesus is because he understands he's a Gentile and he doesn't want to upset the sensibilities of the Jews. And maybe he doesn't ask Jesus to come into the house for the same reason. We don't know that. 
But what Jesus shows is that he's a God of the Gentiles, that he cares for all the people of the world. You read through the Gospel of Luke, and you find that Luke was very concerned about the place of women in society, that Luke was concerned about people who were not Jewish, that he was concerned about all the people of the world. And when he wrote the Gospel, he wrote it to the Romans and the Gentiles. Because he wanted them to know who God is and that he's a God of compassion. He cares about people. Widows were, they were far down on the list of important people for the Jewish people. But Jesus showed that he's a God of the Gentiles and a God of the widows. Now, I don't know where you are today in a lot of things, but I know a lot of people feel broken, feel left out, feel uncared for, feel that they're unimportant. This passage of Scripture says the exact opposite. And Scripture is given that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He came to seek and save that which is lost. I've heard people many times, I was, I'm always amazed when they say it, people who've never been to church, people who don't really know God, who have no idea about my preaching or anything else, who will say, I'm just lost. Because that's the way the Bible describes a person without God, and God sent his son for those who are lost. And so you should never think that you don't count. You should never think that nobody cares for you because our God is a God of compassion. What does he want us to know about God? He wants us to know that God is personal and that God wants to know us personally and that God wants us to know him personally, a close connection that we walk side by side with God, that we lock arms with God, that he is with us and that he never forsakes us, and that we come to him by faith. And what does faith mean? It means that we, we trust God. What did the faith of the centurion mean? I trust God. I trust Jesus. I trust his power. I trust his caring. I trust his compassion. I put my trust in God. I, I know that God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. I know that I can put myself, my future, my life, my today, my tomorrow, my eternity in his hands. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to follow after him, to let, to let him be who he is. We're always trying to remake God. We're always trying to say, if I were God, we're always trying to say, I can't believe God does this or doesn't do this. But God wants us to trust him. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith... 
Without trust, it is impossible to please God. I want to read these words because they're, they're powerful words. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, we get that part, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you earnestly seek God? That's what God wants you to do. God wants you to earnestly seek him. Seek him with all your heart. Let him be the Lord and master of your life. Let him, let him walk alongside of you through life, the personal God who loves you and cares for you. I want every child here to know, every young person here to know that there's a God who loves you and that you mean the world to him. And that you mean so much that he gave his son to die just for you. And that if you had been the only person created, Jesus still would have died for you on the cross. That's how much God loves you. It's amazing the power that comes to us when we know that somebody cares, that somebody loves us, and that he wants us to experience him. I love Luke 17, 5. I love it because of where it is put. The, the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. You would think that they had said that when they said, look, God, we're trying to heal this man over here and we can't do it and we need more faith. That's not what they said. They said that after Jesus had talked about forgiveness. How many times have you said it's hard to forgive? How many times have you turned your back on somebody and refused to forgive? How many times have you talked about a, another person, maybe a family member, maybe a mom or a dad? I can't forgive him. The disciples responded to Jesus when he said to forgive 70 times 7. Jesus, they responded and said, Lord, increase our faith. God wants us to know him personally and powerfully and compassionately. And why does this matter? Well, we all need to know somebody cares. There's nothing more important than knowing that somebody cares for me. It is amazing how far you can go and how much you can do when you know that somebody cares and somebody ready for you to come home, somebody wants to see you, somebody desires to see you so much. It is amazing what that does for us. But there's a second reason why it matters who God is. It's because we become like the one we worship. 
So if you worship a God of compassion that loves all the people of the world, you are pushed toward the world and the people of the world. If you here love one another as you love yourself, you're pushed toward loving other people. If you, lo- if you here be kind and compassionate, tenderhearted, forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven you, you become like that. But if you worship a God who doesn't care and doesn't know you, who doesn't speak and doesn't hear, and who hates anybody who doesn't worship him, you become like that God. It's important to know the Lord God because then that makes us like him. And why does it matter? Because because we must earnestly seek him in faith. And that's what I want to ask you to do. For for you who are believers, who have been believers a long time, I want you to live your life in faith. I want you to say, Lord, increase my faith that I forgive, that I love, that I, that I am generous, that I am caring toward other people, that I live for you because of faith. But I want to ask that those of you who are not yet, who haven't earnestly sought God, maybe you'd say, I believe in God. Have you sought him? Have you sought him with all your heart? Have you poured out your soul unto God? Have you said, Lord, I believe and help me believe even more? I want to ask you to earnestly seek God, and I want to give you an invitation. I call it this way, a a generous, kind, loving invitation. To let us help you to know God and to follow Him. There are going to be people standing here at the front in a moment who have been trained, who, who have been what through what you've been through, and they'll help you take the next step toward living for God and doing what He wants you to do. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to stand, and then we will, it'll be time for you to come and make your decision for the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. And we thank you for sending your Son. God, how we need you in our world, in our country, in our families, in our lives. And so, God, today, there are going to be people... I. I truly believe who are going to earnestly seek you. God, please speak to them. Please bless them. Please help them. And God, may there be a sense of awe and reverence over this place as we see people seeking, earnestly seeking you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And would you come? during this time.